This is Seeds for Success, a show where we have a good yarn about ag life with producers who are having a go. On the show, you'll hear from farmers in New South Wales who are out there battling the elements, making tough calls and getting the job done. You'll get a laugh out of some of their stories and also pick up some know-how along the way. I'm your host, Narrily Brennan. Today, we're sitting down with Andrew Charlton. Andrew, along with his father, brother and their families, run a diverse mixed farming operation on their home property, Cedar Park at Ballymore. Along with another block closer to Wellington, they currently run around 4,000 merino ewes and 1,000 cattle with dual-purpose cropping and grazing. In this episode, Andrew shares with us how he juggles their main enterprises of trading sheep and cattle with his newest interest in goats and how this has led him to establish his Kalahari Red Goat Stud. Andrew also talks to us about how clever livestock trading allowed him and his brother Cameron to expand their operation beyond their home block at Ballymore into buying their own property at Wellington in 2016. And he highlights the importance of quality forage crops and pastures and how that allows him to push the productivity of his livestock. Local Land Services Mixed Farming Officer Rowan Leach sat down with Andrew at home on Cedar Park for this chat overlooking his newest drop of Kalahari Reds. G'day listeners, today I'm with a good mate of mine, Andrew Charlton. Andrew, welcome to the Seeds for Success podcast. Morning, Rowan. Mate, do you mind telling the listeners a bit about your operation here at Cedar Park? Yeah, so Cedar Park's dad's farm at Ballymore, CDK's east of Dubbo. Mixed farming, sheep, cattle mainly, and then more fodder crop just to get it back into pasture. So there's 3,300 acres here, and then uh, at Warmer, in between Wally Yeovil, my brother got 1,000 acres. Mate, and so what are the soil types here? Pretty much the Ballymore country's a bit of everything. So it chops and changes very quick, shallow black, sandy loam, bit of red. So it's a, quite a good mix yep. for a livestock operation. Yeah, so in this wet year, it's been pretty good to have that mix. Yeah, we've been pretty lucky. It's only lately that it's sort of got too wet for us. But it's, yeah, stock have been doing well on the crop. It's just the crop hasn't been supporting them. Yeah, right. Can you give us a bit of an outline of your enterprise mix? Yeah, so this year with the farming side, there'd be 800 acres in, which is all grazing between canola wheat. Dual purpose crops, you're going to take them through to grain as well? Some of them we will. Some will just graze out. Just the wet, we haven't sprayed. So that's been <laughs> interesting. Yeah, a bit of an issue. I'd say there's one or two farmers in the Central West with the same problem. Yeah. And yet your livestock enterprises? Yeah, so between both the places, there'd be 4,000 merino ewes spread across it. And also in this, there's a bit of adjustment as well, which is sort of trying to get us a bit of scale. So they're all joined to the Border Leicesters, sell store lambs, and the first cross ewes, obviously. And then there'd be sort of 800,000 cattle between cows and weaners. Yep. And so are most of those trading animals or you've bred most of those? Nah, they're probably 99% bought in. Mate, and you've also got a few little sideline businesses as well. You're into the goats, your red goats, and you've also got little composite sheep stud. Yeah, so I've got a border lesters and composites. Been sort of breeding those since... I think the borders were started 2005 or six, and the composites were probably started 2010. Just a little sideline play around. And then end of the drought, we ended up 
getting into a few goats. They're quite an interesting animal, so a bit of a learning curve there. And so your sheep studs, is that all for your own consumption or are you selling to clients and that sort of thing? Yeah, so it's started to breed rams for home and then it's sort of, yeah, in surplus, gets sold on. Mate, it sounds like you've got a pretty diverse business, like you've got cropping cattle, sheep, goats, trading and, and a bit of your own breeding. Is that a conscious business strategy or is it just a bit of where you see how do you can make a bit of money? I see a lot of growth in goats. There's a lot of potential there and it's lacking scale, which is starting to happen now. There's a lot of money getting spent on them through embryos and all that sort of stuff. So they've definitely got a place here. It's just a lot of trial and error and they're probably not getting enough love because there's probably a bit too much going on, but yeah. So they're an interest project. And it probably doesn't hurt that you're making a bit of money off them too. Everything needs to pay its way. <laughs> How did you get into the goats in the first place? You said you in the end of the drought. What happened? So brother's got a three-year-old now. We had a few steers that he used to get earmarked for him. So like, this is getting out of control. So I went and bought 14 goats for him. I was like, there's his little bit of cash for him. And then that sort of turned into there'd be Probably 50 or 60 red does, pure red red does, probably about another six, 700 crossbreds. So it's escalated from 14. Yeah, right. Is that just because they're so fertile or you've bred those in or you've bought more numbers in? Breeding up now, but yeah, obviously had to buy them all at the start. How does breeding goats differ to, say, your sheep operation? Completely different animals. <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, so the grazings, goats are very easy to manage if they're set up for them. We do need to get more country set up for goats. Just little things like one of our biggest losses is when they put their head through the fence and get caught in it. So fencing from now on, we're doing the ring lock first so you can line it up so there's not a small hole between the ring lock and the star post. Just little things like that you don't think about. I remember reading an article once that they graze really differently to other animals as well. They're more prone to browse and chew on branches and shrubs and that sort of thing. And so they're probably not as resilient against things like intestinal worms if you put them, say, lock them onto a, onto a fodder crop. Yeah, 100%. So if you graze them like a sheep, you'll worm burden. You'll never beat it. So they're, and because they haven't been domesticated that long, their liver, well, they tell me their liver will break down a drench twice as quick. So drench options, pretty hard. So the best way is management. So stop them grazing low because they won't graze like a sheep. And so how do you manage them then? You put them in bigger paddocks or unimproved country? Keep them moving. It's a, like if you give it to a goat, it'll put weight on. Like so the better, having awesome feed for it's not a bad thing. It's just managing the, yeah, like it, they're grazing. So as soon as you get too much pressure, you need to move them. If you don't, you'll get worms. So you're joining percentages with your bucks and your nannies. What are you aiming for there? How many bucks are you putting to your nannies? So the Wellow Country, that's where we've got the reds. So that's one buck for heaps of does, just trying to get the most out of the best genetics. And then just it's continuously joined, but the bucks come in and out to get it, keep a break in there. Weaning kids young to get the does back in kid, like just get as many kids as we can. Yeah, because goats are a lot less seasonal than sheep, aren't they? Yeah, and they will handle kidding. Well, summer's best. Winter, they don't like the wet and cold. So that's another management thing, like make sure they're in the right paddocks. Because you get like there a couple of weeks ago, we had two weeks of sleep without sun. 
So we did lose a lot of kids, like newborns. Yeah. What kidding percentages are you aiming for? Do you scan and those sorts of things? We were. So you go to the, when they're late in the gestation, they can abort under pressure. So we try and, yeah, it's just waning and drafting and that sort of thing. But they should be doing, like in a year, you should get sort of working it out there. We're getting mid 200%. That's not a bad return on your 14 goat investment there. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. They're good. They'll perform if you look after them, but you've got to look after them. Like if you just go throw them in a scrub paddock, they won't perform for you. Yeah, so your stud goat business, how does it compare to your commercial with your crossbred goats or are they all going to your breeding billies for No, 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 no. Most of the crossbreds are run at Ballymore and they're just from a feral base. Still trying to work out how pure to get them for production. And then the bucks over at Wello, they run the exact same. Like they run natural selection. I think that's the biggest. Like they've got to perform. If you're feeding them and hand feeding them and kidding in sheds, you're taking away natural selection. So that's what you get weak animals. One of the big criticisms I've heard from people in the goat industry, particularly out west, is if they buy in stud goats to try and add a bit of frame and muscle and meat and growth ability to their animals that they just don't perform out west is that maybe something of the boar goats or oh, i think it's a yeah i do but i don't think it's just goats i think it's every livestock industry if you pamper something they become soft and they'll wait for the feeder i think it's a pretty common issue in most industries yeah so maybe look for your genetics in a similar location yeah, well, when we bring in new genetics, it's not just the animal. We look through the breeding program that the person's running. They've got to run them, not tough, but this has got to have its own natural selection. Are most of your clients based for your bucks? A few local, a couple out west, but yeah, it's still a growth one too. And it's still got a lot of learning to do. It sounds like they're pretty different to your sheep operation. Is there any similarities? Yeah, they both get run pretty hard. <laughs> Yeah, they've got to pay their way, as you said earlier. Yeah, like with the sheep industry at the moment, especially where we are at the moment, the running cost of a sheep, it's doubled, hasn't it? Like the shearing cost, the amount of chemicals getting used, flies, worms. So we're at the point now we're double joined. So as soon as they're finished lambing, the rams go back in. And that's with all your sheep too? Yep. How are you working out those running costs? Money in, money out. Just spreadsheets and through your accounting? It's not hard to work out when it costs 12 bucks to shear a sheep. That things are getting dear. Yep. And your shearing check is about the same as your wool check. <laughs> <laughs> well, like not as a marine operation, but once you throw the crossbreds in. Yeah, that broader wool's really copped a canning the last few months yeah, and like years, it, hasn't it? We're sort of, the crossbreds would always be, first cross lambs, that'd always be 25, 26 micron in between there. Used to be six, 700 cents all day long. It's back to 80, 90 cents. So it's net loss. Yeah, the meat's really got to pay its way then, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Mate, we might go on to the next topic. You're usually one of the first blokes I call for some advice when I see a lot on Auctions Plus that I like the look of. What's the main thing you look at when you're buying and selling? Yeah, that's a very interesting one. Safe breakdown sheep. There's been a lot of movement since the drought with sheep, so we're big on buying off vendors. Vendor bread stock, so to limit diseases. So, and it's becoming harder and harder. So, I think that that's something that we quite focus on. Yeah. You're concerned about foot rot coming in on the place or? Yeah. Foot rot, yonies, worms, 
yeah, a lot of wound resistance around. So do you use any strategies to, say, limit those diseases? Do you have, say, quarantine paddocks or drenching programs when something comes in? Yeah, everything gets a double knockdown drench when it comes in, gets locked up for a week to limit the spread. On particular paddocks or have you got a particular quarantine block or something? Uh, we've got pens, pens, and then they just get stubble hay. Yeah, and so was that from confinement feeding or those pens? So yeah, double yeah that's why they're there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good. So you've got different strategies for each enterprise. What about your cattle? Yeah, quality trumps all. So it's keeping quality up. And if we sell, so if we buy something, and then if we, say for argument's sake, we do, the last few years we've carved out quite a lot of heifers, selling them as cows and heifers with calves. So if we're buying something and then selling it with our name on it, it's the animals have got to be right. Like you've got to stand behind your product. Yeah, so you see yourself as a bit of a brand. Yeah, it's what we're trying to build. For us, I think people, you need confidence that if someone buys something off you, that it's going to be right. Yeah, that's really interesting. I don't know whether a lot of people would have the same sort of thought process. So that's interesting that, yeah, you've almost got assurances or something that you've got a quality product for your buyers. Yeah. If you sell something and it's got a lump or bump and you leave it in there and you don't say it's there, especially through the Auctions Plus platform, you'll get a bad rep pretty quick. So if I sell something, I stand behind it. While we're on this topic of Auctions Plus, what tips and tricks have you got for some of the listeners? What are the main things you look out for? There is a lot of things that are going on through that platform that shouldn't be going on. Biggest advice, if something's not right, say it. You would probably keep an eye out for particular vendors or agents that have maybe fudged a few things in the past. Most definitely. So just be as honest as possible. There's no accountability there. So if something's not right, send it back. And we have had issues with stock, more so coming in. And if something does happen on the way out, you fix it straight away because you need that person coming back. So, yes, get it sorted straight away. And it, the same, if something comes in, like if you're buying sheep and they're four-and-a-half-year-olds with broken mouths, like see you later, the whole lot go back. Because how can I sell those as four-and-a-half-year-olds knowing that there's broken mouths and they're clearly not that age? So you, I guess you've just got to stick to your guns and the squeaky wheel gets grease, I guess. Yeah, it shouldn't be like it. Like it's... There's headaches, and it's got a lot of costs going with it, like stalker there, and by the time they go. What are some of the benefits of the platform that you think? Getting it, just the markets, you hit the broad range of buyers. Have you found that it reduces your freight? Yeah, it does. So trucks move everywhere now, and we're lucky where we're based here, the Ballymore block, it is quite central, like Dubbo's a hub. Trucks run north, south, east, west. So giving a week delivery, people can work on backloads and make freight affordable especially now because freight is a massive component. So where do you look for value in the market, in the livestock market? You don't have to give any secrets away, but just what do you look for? No, there's no secrets, but it's like you need to do your numbers. The best thing we did when we got going, we did a course, KLR Marketing. Love or hate the course for people who may or may not have done it, but it has got some great things in there. So your cost to carry, that's the one thing. No one knows the adjustment rate. Like it's not $0.50 cents or a dollar for sheep or 5 6 $10 for cow. It's what it costs you to run that animal. And everyone's different. Interest rates, the way they farm, cropping, unimproved, improved pastures. Like it's So if you're buying something, you need to – and pen and paper, you can do whatever you want. You can have a look at it and say, oh, there's $200 in that cow. If something goes wrong, we well, could lose $200. So it's being prepared to carry – and then also cut your losses and go again. 
Yeah, I remember one of the things that you told me, which I had no idea about, but you said, oh, look, we're taking a position in the market with buying in some heifers. This was six months ago. You were just prepared to maybe cop the loss on them if the market dropped. And then you said you were just going to rip in. If the market does drop, you're going to rip in and buy up big. Yeah. Can you just talk about that philosophy a bit? Yeah. I'm not a big believer in selling and sitting out. That's when anything could happen. Like, have a look between now and to the end of 19. It's gone up and up and up and up. And at the moment, now it's leveling out. If you hold, like, it's not as firm. Cattle markets aren't as firm as they were. A lot of variations between different sale yards, different spec cattle. So, if you only stepped in three months ago, it's not going to be pretty. So, if you'd sat out for since the end of 19 and then decided, all oh, right, I'm going to jump in now it looks like things could be levelling off or even dropping over the next 12 months. Yeah, it's a different market. And there's so many outside factors at the moment. Like the facts of it are the foot and mouth, if it turns up, the economy, like there's just so many unknowns at the moment. Give a bit of optimism to the listeners, mate. What is something to look on the positive side for in the trading game? Whatever happens, happens. You can't control like all these things at the moment. Like if it stops raining now, we're going to be in the same boat as if foot and mouth turns up, if we turn back into another four-year drought. So you can only control what you control. So it's pretty much, I think, I've always been big on living within your means. Like if you can't afford something, you can't afford it. Yeah. Don't borrow to the hilt to go trading, you're saying? Yeah. So you said you've got another block over at Wellington that you've bought in the last few years. 2016. 2016. So do you mind just telling me a bit about the structure? Like I know you're in partnership with your brother or and is your father in the business as well? No, so that's just Cam and I. Cam's your brother? Yep. So how did you manage buying the block? So we started small, learn a lot along the way. We must have started 10, I think. Is this where you want to go deep into it? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Say 2010, first model cattle, 15. Then we just worked on the- 15 head. 15 head. Yep. Just worked on the simple philosophy of sell one unit, buy two. So just double equity. So started 10, 2016, sold our cattle. I think, I forget how many we had then. We sold those and bought the block. Yeah, not for cash. <laughs> but yeah, that allowed us to step into the country. Then we walked into a drought and that came interesting. We had to diversify a lot then. How did drought affect the business when you had this increased pressure of trying to pay off another farm and then and a big debt? Yeah, you said you just had to diversify. Yeah, so bought a mixer. A feed mixer. Feed mixer. And fed sheep, like the ewes at Ballymore, they were all locked up. So I think about, I don't know, maybe one stage, four or five thousand rand a use on feed, which is, yeah, with the mixer, that's as cheap as we could do it. So we used to join in there, they'd go out lamb. And then same thing, we used to sell ewes, skin in lamb, buy back dry ones, trying to buy time because we didn't have the feed to lamb. Yeah, and then must have been starting at 19, we got out of all the merinos. Sold all those and then just focused on feeding, or feeding cattle. In confinement? Yep. And so how did that help your country or your bottom line or did it help both? Definitely helped the country. Ground cover's massive. Like it's essentially your ground cover. Nothing good comes from that. Yeah. So it's a main pillar in your business, maintaining ground cover? Yeah. And I guess it just would have meant that your country responded a lot quicker than say some flogged out paddocks of other farmers? Yeah, I think it did. Yeah, it definitely helped us. So erosion, microbes, like water retention, like it's a big, yeah. There's lots of ways to look at it. 
Mark Rope's an interesting one. <laughs> so getting back to buying the Wello block, you said you sold all your stock or sold a lot of your cattle to be able to buy that. How were you able to then afford to stock it? Lower value stock, yeah. So we're selling cows and calves, heifers with calves, and bought back. What did we buy back then? I think heifers. We're buying back young heifers to join and just backgrounding. So what prompted you to expand into buying more country? It's always been the end game. The end game, buy country. That's where your best growth capital gains. It's massive. So do you look at that capital gains as a distinct part of your business and sort of wealth accumulation? Yeah, it's the easiest way to keep buying country. When we were running cattle, we had 15 cows here and there and local and inducement and what we had to do. Like, you got to do what you got to do. So we did that to get numbers around us to buy country and we're sort of back in the same boat again. We've got the stock and inducement trying to build equity. And to buy another place, hopefully in the next few years? Yeah, it's the end game. So what are you looking for when you're in a property? Is it location to your other farms or are you looking to spread your risk and go into a different region? Yeah, we're not at the point of going to a different region at the moment. Still got to streamline as much as we can. So looking for those efficiencies that are sort of local farm. Yeah, like our labour unit, there's Dad, Cameron and myself. So it's, yeah, you can only spread yourself so far. And when you're spending half a day in a car to go and visit a place, it's... Uneconomical. Yeah. Hmm. So is labour then the next thing that you're going to look into as well? Or is it still manageable with three of you, you think? It's probably short, definitely. Labour's a hard one, isn't it? Because you need to get production. Like, it's a big cost out. So it's probably short-term more looking more contractors to get the work done, as in contractors as in, like, a bit of farming. Share farming? Contract sowing. Contract sowing, yep. Yeah, fencing, those sort of things, yeah. Are you looking for, say, a run-down block that you can improve or are you looking for something that you can jump into yourself and start production straight away? Yeah, I think the horses for courses, like, there's no two blocks the same. So it's all relative, each block on themselves. We're pretty lucky the block of Wallet was a turnkey, so made it a lot easier. A turnkey? What do you mean by that? Like it was set up. It was fenced into, it's only been a 1,000 acres, majority of them 30, 40 acre paddocks, even less, 25, 30 acres. So that makes, yeah, to run high-density stock makes it a lot easier. And with moving over to the Wellow block, mate, I know, noticed you've stepped into growing grazing canola and canola for the first time. What impact has that had on your business? It's an interesting plant. <laughs> no, it's good. It's like it's rocket fuel, isn't it? So, yeah, we and it grew the last couple of years growing at Bailey Country as well, which is interesting because that's the first time it would have ever been sown on this country, on this particular farm. It's a hard one to work out your actual gains like your cost, like your profit off it. And what it means, like, uh, say, this year, last year, ran using lambs on it. So last year, the ewes scanned up. They got joined as soon as they finished lambing, and they scanned up, did a four-week join, and they scanned up 60-something percent. So I don't think you get those numbers running without running on that sort of feed. And then to get those lambs off at a, such a young age, like they were, I think the words were 32 kilos in the you lambs were 28 or 9 when they got sold to store lambs. So, yeah. We might just dive into that a bit because that is something that probably not a lot of people are doing is that back-to-back joining in sheep or in merinos in particular. So have you got a benchmark that you're aiming for or is it just with you're just trying to get as many lambs on the ground just as possible? Just get as many lambs as possible. So what sort of percentages 
you'd have the 100% roughly or 110% in the first joining perhaps and then you're aiming for that 40-50% in the sec- in the back-to-back joining? Yeah, whatever you get. That's definitely works doing it. So then the next year, so it's gone, the lambing becomes a bit later because you've got that one in between, a bit more spread out. But sheep are great at sinking back up. Like they'll do it. So join, scan, and then just keep scanning. So that's our management. So we rams go in. So for I think this year they went in November. Went in November. The rams don't come out. We just keep scanning every six weeks and they get split in two cycles for management. How are you making it easier on yourself? Is it is that scanning the main thing, making it easier and putting them into blocks or are you electronic tagging? No, no, just rattles and so they'll six you end up with a six week join mob and then when they get close to the lambing you'll take a cycle off process and they'll go to the paddocks. And also from doing that, like there's definitely paddocks where sheep land better. You just get hype sense, whether it be shelter, watering points, feed quality. The way the country slopes, there's a lot in it. So splitting them in those cycles allows you to use those paddocks more frequently for you, so you end up with better lambing percents. For those interested listeners, our podcast with David Gregg actually goes into a fair bit into this topic and, yeah, he really finds a lot of difference in particularly his Gilgai country as some of his better lambing paddocks. Yeah, I think it's amazing. Like, I've seen people that I use an outside example. I think they lambed. I think they bought the ewes in, they'll scan 185% or 80% in. Merinos? Merino ewes to crossbred ram. I think they, in one particular paddock, they weaned like 170%, like just massive. That's pretty good in twins in uh, in merinos, isn't it? It's amazing. Like it is amazing. Don't ever look at merino. There's merinos and merinos and crossbreds and crossbreds. And then the paddock next door, I think they pulled out 120 or 30%. Like that's massive and it's literally next door. So it just comes back to your watering points, shelter, like it's mind-boggling. There's, uh, they normally talk the cream on a trade or on a deal of being maybe 10 or 15%, but 40% is massive difference is there, isn't it? 45%. It's massive, isn't it? That's a game changer. So with the borders, I've been doing sort of two-week joinings out for week 10 days and then back in so I can utilise better paddocks for those higher value stock. So back-to-back joinings in your merinos, that's pretty tough on the animal from a production standpoint or a, you've got to really feed them to get that productivity. Are you noticing they break down early or you're selling them so it doesn't really matter to your operation? No, 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 nothing like that. I think it's – the sheep handle it fine. The more you push them, the more they'll produce. Yeah, as long as you're keeping the feed up to them, it's a pretty sustainable system for you. Yeah, they probably get looked after better. Well, if they're not lamb, got a lamb at foot or a lamb in them, they get run a bit harder anyway, so they get looked after better. There is a lot of interesting people in the sheep game doing a lot of interesting things, and the information's out there. So it's like these sheep will do it. There is sheep that will perform the house down, and there's sheep that won't do it, merino or crossbred or... Doesn't matter so much the breed, but more the actual genetics behind that animal. Massive. Genetics is massive. Feeds, obviously, the X factor. You can have all the genetics in the world. If you don't feed, it won't produce, so... Well, that is probably a good way to wrap up, mate. But before you go, my final question I like to ask people is, what do you see as the big issue in ag at the moment? Education. Around what topic? Where do you want to start? <laughs> like at the moment, foot of mouth, the economy, 
there's a lot of talk about it. And like just the simple facts of it, if we get foot of mouth here, they tell me I was reading something that they reckon all the stock will be vaccinated in 12 months. So that's a 12 months of heartache. It's not a game over. Like a drought does the same thing. And then through to, I think there is, like sit down and work it out. How many different jabs and this and that you can give a sheep? If you did one of everything, like it costs more than what the sheep costs. <laughs> so it's working out what works for you in, on your country. Because every corner you turn around, there's someone trying to sell you something. Some products are great, some aren't. But there is a lot of stuff out there that is, will help production as well. So I guess finding the golden ideas in that murky mess, pretty crucial, and that's just by doing your own research. Yeah, and there's lots of people out there that will some you got a prime information out of. Mate, I think that's a great way to wrap up. The key is education. That's what I try and do in my job, and that's what we try and do with this podcast. So, Andrew, thanks for coming on our episode today, and thanks for being on the Seeds for Success podcast. No, thanks for having me. I hope you get a bit out of it. Thanks, mate. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Central West Local Land Services. Local Land Services delivers advice and support to farmers, landholders and the community across New South Wales. To learn more, you can find us online by searching for Central West Local Land Services. If you'd like more information about the topics we discussed today, as well as links to relevant articles, fact sheets, events and other helpful resources, we've added those into the show notes for this episode. You can find them by tapping or swiping over the cover art in your podcast player now. Hey, and while you're there, please leave us a five-star review. It really helps other farmers find the show. I'm your host, Narily Brennan, and I'll chat to you next time. Bye.